welcome to the Real Estate Raw Show, hosted by Joe Mendoza. Hi guys, Joe Mendoza here in sunny San Diego. Welcome to my show. Thanks so much for watching, subscribing, and sharing the good word. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great fellow from Austin, Texas, Danny Weber. Now he runs multiple businesses. So we're gonna dive into some of his different businesses and strategies. He has a mortgage brokering company, a property management company. He's an investor, he's a broker owner. He does some construction as well and is very creative on acquisition. So welcome to the show, Danny Weber, how are you? Very good, thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So just wanted to jump in before real estate, what were you doing? Uh, I was in corporate America. I was a policeman for a while in New Orleans, outside of New Orleans. And um, corporate America did quality control, statistical process analysis, process flow, process management. Um, just any, I mean, I, I've, had, I've had a lot of different ads. I was a postman at one time. I was an EMT at one time. Um, Anything and everything, I, I went through a lot of ADD when I was young. And if I saw something I liked, that I liked the uniform, I jumped into it. Ex-military Air Force, so uh, was was attracted to uniforms really early in life. And then was attracted to a lot of statistical process control and uh, analysis, uh, which which keeps me, uh, keeps me entertained. Got it. Now, were you an investor first before uh, being an agent or which one came first? Well, I, you know, when I was young, I was one of these kids that always read books when they were young, like 11, 12 year, year, years old, I was reading investment books and, you know, Og Ogden and, and, you know, Think and Grow Rich, you know, Napoleon Hill stuff. And uh, I read one book when I was young on real estate investing, and I can't remember what it is at this point, but that really kind of planted the seed at a very young age. But to answer your question, I started off as an agent um, in Austin, a, probably about 15 years ago. And um, back in the day, uh, you could buy properties in Austin, investment properties, zero down. Um, and I could collect the commission at closing. So I was buying anything and everything I could. I'd you know, walk into an investment property every few months with zero out of pocket and I'd walk away with, with 3% at closing. So uh, that was right before the, the bust and all these uh, lenders went out of business because of those practices, I guess, how I like them. I wish they were still here, but uh, it, it's one of these things like right now, if you knew then uh, what you know now, you would have bought, you know, hundred properties and held them. And at the time I was just buying them and, and, you know, keeping them three, four, five, six months and making, you know, five or 10,000 on them because I'd already collected some, some commission up front, which was a payday. And so I didn't need much on the back end. Then did you end up buying and holding or you just flipped them or what was kind of your, your strategy? Back in the day when I first started, I was literally just flipping everything. And back when I first started, you know, going back a decade plus, I didn't really care what money I made on a transaction. So if I was making five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars, I was that it was good because when I first started real estate, I still had a W two, so I wasn't reliant upon real estate for my for my income, my full time income. So it was all pocket change at the time. If you know, if I could clear a few thousand, it was a good deal. And um, I had a couple rentals. Um, I've still got one rental that I bought in 2005, and that's the oldest property that I've got on my portfolio. The property that I've owned the longest, I can say, not the oldest, but I've owned that one the longest, and it's still a performing rental in uh, Kyle, Texas, right south of Austin. So, talking to your younger self, you know, you got a lot of experience in real estate. Uh, what best advice would you give yourself 
as far as investing, being an agent, owning multiple companies? I would say if you're a new investor and you have a W-2, don't assume you're going to jump out of your W-2 into investing full-time anytime soon. And even at the point where you think you can, I would tell you to hire somebody to fill the position that you think you need to be in and, and have them manage things for even longer. Because uh, while it's very attractive and everybody wants to quit their W-2 to, to be a full-time investor, it is it is just not easy. And most people don't run the numbers the right way. And so they end up going broke or they end up getting back into a full-time position quickly. That'd be the first thing. The second thing I would tell a younger me is to focus on equity stacking or appreciation stacking. Equity stacking is what I call it. And, and for me, that means going after uh, properties as part of your investment portfolio, focusing on appreciation more so than cash flow. And, and I've got, you know, hundred charts, hundred Excel spreadsheets that I can show um, cash flow is a, is a, is a losing game for a young investor. Cash flow is great for a 55, 60 year old investor that's been investing for 10, 15, 20 years and, and wants to 1031 all of his properties into a high cash flow market to pay cash for properties. But as a new investor, you need to stack equity, stack appreciation. Uh, and, and so at some point, three, five, seven years into the mix that you, you have enough money to 1031 into something else, multifamily or at some point, if you want cash flow, then you can pay cash for something, you know, that's one of, hopefully we talk about that. That's one of my big pet peeves right now on, on most of the investment circles is that I don't think they focus on the right thing for new investors. I think they focus on the exact opposite thing that the new investors should be, you know, focusing on. That's interesting, Danny. I mean, that, that, that is a lot of truth behind what you said, because you're right. A lot of these other circuits or boot camps and training are saying cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Mm -hmm. But I think you said an important fact there depends where where you are in the stage of life, because I think that really has a great deal of your strategy and your risk tolerance. Because, yeah, when you get older, I mean, man, you got to be more careful about getting a steady paycheck and maintaining your lifestyle. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. And the numbers speak for themselves. And I'll give you just some round numbers when I when I do um, client intros. I do a one-hour Zoom chat with all new clients, investor clients, and we literally run down some some charts and some projects, and we say, okay, you know, three hundred dollars a month for most investors is a good cash flow. If it's on the net side, if it's on the gross, it's still not bad, right? Um, if if we're being honest, we're looking at properties. Three hundred dollars is decent cash flow, uh, no matter what anybody tells you. But if you compare a three hundred dollar property with cash flow at three percent appreciation per year, and let's just throw out two hundred thousand. That's six thousand a year in appreciation, or five hundred a month. Add another three hundred in cash flow on it. You're at eight hundred a month, and add another two hundred in uh, principal reduction. You're at a thousand a month, or so total value on that property is about twelve grand a year. Well, compare that to a two hundred thousand uh, um, dollar six or seven percent property. We'll say six percent. Um, that's appreciating twelve thousand a year. So you got your thousand dollars a month right off the bat in appreciation, and then you add on your principal reduction of 200 a month. So you got another $2,400 a year. And then you add on $100 a month in cash flow, and you add another 1200. So you go from a 3% appreciating property with 300 in cash flow, you know, from roughly 12,000 to a 6% $100 a month cash flow property to you're at 15, 16,000 in total value of that one property per year. And then you, you roll that three, four, five years down the road. If you bought three of those year one, just right off the bat, you're banking 45,000 in appreciation per year. 
move four or five years down the road, you're at 200 and something thousand dollars in equity in that property. That's enough of a nest egg to, to buy into a multi-unit project or to, you know, if you're at the age, like you're saying, you want to cash flow properties, well, go out and, and find some markets that you can buy 70, $80,000 homes for cash. And then you're getting hundred percent minus taxes and insurance. And of course, you know, any vacancy or repair reserves that you're, you're booking. Nice. Nice. Now I have a lot of clients and a lot of my friends here in California, they're actually favoring Texas. Now, what's interesting about Texas is I believe it's a non-disclosure state. Um, and sometimes the taxes might maybe kind of high. I had a, a friend of a friend tell me about a property she bought. Now she thought she was going to get a home run. She actually had the property. It was a multi-unit property. And then later she was getting destroyed uh, on cash flow because she wasn't really, she didn't know about the taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, ask, well, share with the audience, if you don't mind, how you can kind of mitigate that risk and get around some of these different things I just mentioned. So it, it, there's a bunch of facets to that question, but I'll take them kind of give you a generic response. It's going to answer most of them. So first thing is whenever we're doing searches in Texas, or if you're a smart broker that's helping out-of-state investors, especially ones that don't have the property taxes, you do, you'll have you know state income tax and some other things that you may have to deal with, but you don't have these crazy property taxes, which could be um, in Austin, you're at, you know, 2.1% to 3.2, 3.3%. And that's, you know, that's a big number. If you take a, a 9,000 uh, or you take a $300,000 home at, at uh, 3% tax rate, you're at 9,000 a year in taxes, or you're at, you know, close to seven, seven something a month in taxes on top of your principal and interest on top of your um, insurance, and then on top of any HOA fees. So what we do to mitigate that for our investors here that we deal with, especially, you know, 80% of my clientele is out of California and they're all buying uh, the areas that we cover, which is from San Antonio to Dallas, DFW. The first thing that we do when I do the orientation is I say, this is your Nirvana search. This is like, if you could close your eyes and make a wish, this is the perfect search. And that search looks like this. It's, we search by tax rates. So I usually try to cap tax rates at about 2.75 or under. We look for the newest property. So you're looking for low tax, new property, biggest square footage you can find and low to no HOA, right? And so between all of those factors, there's a gumbo or a soup that you can put together that just with those factors on the searches I have set up, I can point at the properties that should be good investments based on just those factors. And of course you're looking for, you know, the other criteria would be minimum three twos. Um, I prefer well, I prefer one floors over two, but both of them work in the markets. Um, I prefer um, properties that obviously is close to nightlife or is or in better school districts, right? I mean, that's all just uh, uh, gimme stuff. But uh, that's how we mitigate that um, in in Texas is we 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 have custom searches set up to address the tax problem because that by far is the biggest problem in Texas. Our rents have not kept up with the appreciation and the purchase prices we've had. Interesting. Now, being a non-disclosure state, they don't say the final sales price. Somebody here in California or elsewhere, how do we figure that out? So part of the spreadsheet that we have, we assume worst case scenario on taxes. And so for instance, if you find a property that you want to buy at 250, single family property in Pflugerville, Cedar Park, Leander, somewhere in Georgetown, one of these the smaller communities around Austin, and the property value on the CAD or, or real estate tax says 
um, property of 205, but you know this thing is going to sell for 250. We don't use the published tax amount in the tax rate in the CAD. We use the actual 2.125 tax rate on the purchase amount as our worst case scenario. And we just pray and hope that the county does not pull the, the purchase price information. Although, again, it's non-disclosure, they're not supposed to, but they, they inevitably get the price because they have access to the comps just like we do. Um, so we always assume worst case scenario. And then obviously there's, there's tons of strategies to mitigate your tax bill. Uh, and there's professionals that do that for you, but you just gotta, you gotta spend some time fighting your taxes every year. That's just part of the game if you're an investor. Got it, great, great. Now, as far as investor advice, uh, somebody comes to you again from California. Uh, do you share uh, a better profit margin or a better opportunity in residential, um, commercial, multifamily? What, what do you usually say to them? Well, we start talking. So again, this is, you know, if I go back, I want to go back to one of my pet peeves of, of the guru classes out there. Is they're just usually one dimensional cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Um, they don't ask the investor what your goals are. So the first thing that we do as part of the intro is we sit down and say, hey, what are your goals? What are your cash flow goals and, and what do you want when? And typically um, the first answer I get is I want, you know, 1% rule. I want minimum 350 a month in cash. Flow. I want this and that. And, and, and we want it now. We want to find a property like it now. And I'm like, well, guess what? In Central Texas, you're going to be hard pressed to find something like that consistently. You can find some one-offs, but you're not finding that consistently. So then I started asking them a little bit deeper questions. Why do you want $350 right now? What does that do for you? Does it change your life? Do you buy a new Maserati? Do you upgrade your home? And the answer inevitably 100% of the time is it does nothing for me, right? And so what I do if, immediately is I try to shift the focus from short-term cash flow. And again, this is assuming that they're newer investors or that they're not you know, long in the tooth and they need the cash flow. But if, if they're long in the tooth and they need the cash flow, they're going to go out of cash to purchase with. That, that's, that's a rare scenario. Most folks have 10, 15, 20 years that we can equity stack and, and get them to the point where they can be cash flowing pretty heavily at a later stage in life. But we focus on switching them from wanting cash flow to switching them to wanting equity or some combination thereof that's palatable. Because inevitably, if you find a high appreciating market like Austin, um, Dallas, Clean, Coppers Cove, San Antonio, uh, everywhere in between just this I-35 corridor is on fire, you're typically going to be giving up cash flow. You're going to have great appreciation and, and mediocre to okay cash flow. And so what ends up happening as a lender, you start having debt to income ratio problems eventually. And so what I try to get these folks to focus on is the fact that you're playing Tetris when you're an investor. Your, your, your portfolio is a Tetris game and your first block could come down and look like this, which is going to be high appreciation, low cash flow. And so your next block, you're going to have to focus on something like this that comes in sideways and ups your, your cash flow to offset the lack of cash flow on there. So you're not getting, getting uh, killed on your, your debt to income ratios. And then you fit another property on top of that. And then you fit another property on top, top of that. But every property has to complement the other properties that you've purchased in regard to um, average appreciation across your portfolio and average cash flow across your portfolio. And then every couple of years, you need to reassess your portfolio. And if you get a property that was a great deal in 2017, it's now 2021, uh, it doesn't fit anymore because the, the market hasn't appreciated like you want it to, the cash flow isn't as good, or maybe it's just, it's a dud. You've had just 
massive repair after repair after repair, which happens even under the best, you know, circumstances, maybe it's time to 1031 that property. And if your average low on your appreciation across your portfolio, meaning your goal is six and you're at a five, well, now it's time to find a seven or an 8% appreciating property, regardless of the cash flow to average up your appreciation. Because again, if you, if you, uh, my total focus is appreciation for young investors. So this is what I'm talking. If you, if you have an average of 5% appreciation over um, let's just say three, three properties, 200,000 each, you got 600,000 in properties and you've got a 5% appreciating mark. You're basically making about 30,000 a year in appreciation on those properties. Um, and I think that math is right uh, versus uh, focusing on two or $300 a month in cash flow on those properties at say a two or 3% appreciation. The numbers just, work 100% of the time to equity stack versus chase cash flow on for new investors because it gives them the option to buy bigger and better relatively short periods of time after that. Love it. Love it. I love the fact that you're a actually asking the right questions, the specific questions for investors. To me, that, that, that indicates you're a pro because when somebody is like telling, telling, telling what they should buy, I mean, that really doesn't customize to that potential client. So I love that and I appreciate that. Yeah, That's awesome. So um, a lot of time doing that. now you have multiple businesses and they're all facilitated for real estate. Uh, would you be considered like the one-stop shop for the, the investor where, hey, they're going to use you for being an agent. They're going to get the loan and then you could help property management. Is that kind of the whole business model? It definitely is. It becomes overwhelming at some part. I've got a bunch of folks in, in the different uh, vertical markets to manage things, but, but realistically, 99% um, of my investors have my cell phone number. They text me, they email me, they let me know what's going on. Typically what happens is they'll come in, um, they'll find me on a, a lead source or via YouTube or a referral and uh, we'll do the intro. We'll figure out what they want, how they want it and, uh, and, and when they want it. We'll set up their investment portfolio plan. We'll start stacking properties in there. And, and you know, same thing in California is that um, you may buy your first property in Austin because you want an 8% appreciating property with low cash flow. And then your second property is going to be in, in, in Colleen and a fourplex in Colleen because you can still get 4% appreciation, 5% appreciation. But guess what? You're at a five, six, seven hundred, $700 a month cash flow. And so your third property could be in Belton, could be in Dallas, Fort Worth, it could be in San Antonio. But long story short is once we start stacking all these properties to build your portfolio, uh, you're going to need a loan or you're going to at least need to have somebody in your corner that has fiduciary responsibility to you to go after your lender if they're not doing something they should be or if their rates are too high or their terms are, are not good enough. And then the same thing happened with the insurance is I've got an insurance company. Well, you don't have to use me for insurance, but if you send me your insurance policy quote that you got from another guy, I can tell you that this is good coverage or bad coverage, or hey, in my opinion, you're missing this, I would add it. Same thing with, with rehabs and remodels. Well, I've, been, I've flipped hundreds of homes. And as a result of flipping so many homes, I can walk into a room, into a house on a project, and I can make you a punch list on the spot with pricing as about what you should be paying for that. And, and as, part of the, as part of that package, I got so tired of paying retail for my cabinets, countertops, flooring, um, hardware that I opened up a, a cabinet countertop and flooring store about three years ago. And so now for the investors that, that are using me to buy properties, even for my retail clients, if they need new cabinets or new flooring or new countertops or, or anything, I can get it to them at wholesale cost. 
right? And uh, even refer construction, construction folks or subs out to them that I work with full-time on my construction company. And then of course, the property management plays into all of that, which is, hey, if you buy a property here, uh, a rental property in any of the areas that we service, we're gonna manage your property. And guess what? You already know me, you already trust me. If there's a problem, you're not gonna have, a, you're not gonna have any issues jumping on the phone with me and saying, hey Danny, something needs to happen now today versus not having that relationship with somebody else. Perfect. Perfect, Danny. Appreciate it. Now, I heard you mention something about market indicators on another show you recorded. Mm -hmm. You you mitigate also having the guesswork out of it because you're looking at these market indicators. What are some of the different market indicators that you recommend uh, our audience to pay attention to like right now? Well, so some generic market indicators that I watch um, and, and they're going to affect the markets differently. Like I'll give you some big market indicators that are just steering the ship right now in, in central Texas. Well, you know, like right now, San Antonio has got two months plus of inventory. Austin's got one month plus a little bit over one month. Dallas Fort Worth has two months plus similar to San Antonio. So when you start reducing the amount of inventory you have in a market, obviously it, it creates a seller's market. You have uh, fewer homes for, for more buyers to buy. And then uh, in conjunction with that, interest rates are at historical lows. So you've got in the central Texas market, specifically in Austin right now, you've got very few homes for sale and a lot of folks trying to buy right now, which is just, it's it's made this market, anybody who's in Austin listening to this at whatever point in the future is, is going to just be laughing when I say this, because I, I, I had, you know, as of today, I had a, a, a rehab project that I did that I got five offers on, which is low because I've seen emails that, hey, we rejected your offer. You were offer number 28 of 29. Um, five offers on um, 16,000 was the highest I got over asking with a full appraisal waiver and um, $1,500 in option funds. Can you imagine paying $1,500 for a five-day option knowing that you may not get that money back? I had another same offer, 2,500 in option for seven days. And again, that's 2,500 you're giving me, you may not get back if you find anything on this inspection, but that's where the market's at in Austin right now. And so, you know, going back to the indicators is that, you know, days on market, um, inventory, interest rates, and then you look at the projects that are happening. So if there's any major projects or, or even demographic shifts, one of the things that I educate my investors on when looking at appreciating appreciation markets and the potential for future appreciation is, Let's put out a demographic shift map, a population map, and figure out who's moved where, when. And so you can see that, you know, the darker areas, darker green, whatever chart we're looking at is going to show, this is why I'm recommending these areas, because we've had uh, population shifts in this area. And oh, by the way, we're opening up, a, they have a $1, million, $1 billion development coming here and a, another development coming here that are all going to feed this. So those are the big ticket items I look at for indicators. I don't pay attention as much to say macroeconomics, meaning uh, the DXY, what's the dollar doing today? Um, what's the 10 year bond doing today? Because right now we're just in a market that rates are super low. If the, if the, if the, the bond goes up or the yields go up and the rates go up a quarter percent, who cares? You know? Nice, nice. <laughs> well, Danny, there has been a lot of great advice here. Any other last tips uh, that you would want to share with the audience? I would just say choose your choose your invest investment partners wisely. Um, if you're choosing an agent, if you're dealing with uh, with a broker or an agent, make sure that they're asking you the right questions. Make sure that they, you have an individual individually designed portfolio investment plan that's based on what money 
cash you have now, what money you're going to earn, your debt to income ratios, uh, what money you want to collect when as far as cash flow goes. Um, there's a lot. I mean, there's there's so much to cover in so little time. What, what do y'all focus on, Joe, where you're at in, in San Diego? San Diego. Well, I run a number of different businesses. So I have a, I'm involved in brokerage myself. Mm-hmm. And as far as uh, the investment side, man, our cap rates are so low, two to 3% in some cases. And now there's also rent control. So it's kind of crazy what we're dealing with in California. That's why a lot of folks are moving into other markets to move their investment dollars. That's what we're kind of seeing over here. Yeah, probably 80% of my clients are Californians. Either I've got a large amount from the Bay Area. I've got San Diego, um, uh, slightly rural uh, Los Angeles. I was literally, the, the call I was on before this one was a couple out of uh, uh, Santa Barbara. They just moved to uh, a suburb of Boston, really clean. Um, and they're going to be moving back to Santa Barbara. And we were talking about whether they should buy in Santa Barbara or not. And uh, we looked at some of the, the listings over there and it was like, I don't know, a million, million five, 900,000 for, you know, 600 square feet, 700 square feet. And I'm just like, you know, the conversation with, with them was that's just going to destroy your debt to income ratios for a long time. Um, and so I, I can't believe the prices, especially in California, we looked at some California stuff uh, or some San Francisco stuff yesterday with some investors. And I was like, oh my God, like for Texas, uh, that's so foreign, it's not even believable. It's just not believable looking at that from, from where we're at in, in Austin or any other market here. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks again, Danny. Best way to get a hold of you, anything you're working on promoting? Uh, you know, I, I, I stay busy with the investors from out-of-town investors. Uh, if you needed to get a hold of me, certainly you could hit, hit me up on Gmail, danny.weber at gmail.com. Um, that's danny.weber at gmail.com. I've got a YouTube channel if you want to jump on there. I've got uh, videos that upload on investing. Um, but uh, no, I, I appreciate the time. And, and hopefully uh, this has uh, brought some value to your, to, your, to your membership, your audience. Yeah, thank you so much. It definitely has. And we wish you well. Thank you, sir. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I hope you learned as much as I did or more. So guys, look at the comment thread. If you've seen something or heard something, want to learn more about something, please put it on the comment link below. If you're not a subscriber yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Go ahead and smash that bell to hear the latest and greatest on the show. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram. I'm putting this channel together to hopefully add incredible value to you. And if you want to learn more about investing, you're new to investing, I highly recommend this book, Flex with a Plex. Also, this book, if you're having some challenges, as you can see, everybody on the show had some kind of adversity, including yours truly. So I shared a lot of that on Make It a Comeback, giving you some incredible tips to make a comeback. So get either one, Flex with a Plex, or Make It a Comeback. If you want to get more tips, go ahead and go to JoeMendoza.com. Again, subscribe, share, like, make a comment below. I really, really appreciate you. Want to add incredible value and wish you all the best in your success in real estate and in life. Take care.
Our company is not responsible for the success or failure of your business decisions relating to any information presented by our company or our company programs, products, and or services.